This message first aired on the radio on October 21st, 2003. Whatever state you're found right now, I hope that you're aware that you're going to hear the Word of God. I hope you're prepared to hear the Word of God. I hope that you'll stand still for a moment and hear the Word of God as men of God told uh, those in Scripture who had something to hear. We all have something to get from the Word of God, and the interesting thing about the Bible is that it is God's Word. It reads like no other book. It reads like no other literature. It speaks to all people at all times, and all people of all times. And there's no book like this one, and so let's read it. And we've been studying the dispensation of the law. Well, we've been studying the fourth quarter of the dispensation of the law, which is the final quarter, which is the really the worst quarter of Israel as it goes into captivity. And a once proud and great nation is fast on the decline. And we're going to take up, having considered the life of Hezekiah, today we're going to take up the lives of two men. We're going to take up the life of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, his heritage that he left the children of Israel. And then we'll take up the life of Josiah, really the last decent king, and maybe the last king of Judah that really functioned uh, as a king. There were other kings of Judah, but really the last one who functioned, we might say, within the sovereignty of the nation of Israel. Now, when we talk about Hezekiah and his reign, we know that he reigns. It was the grace of God that allowed him to escape from the hand of the king of Assyria. He rebelled from the king of Assyria after he had been put into office by the king of Assyria, or so we suspect, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and got free from him. So Hezekiah kept Judah as a sovereign nation. And then you remember yesterday we talked about that Hezekiah was sick unto death. Now that's a um, sorry situation, and he turned to God and prayed, and God gave him 15 years. Then you may remember that Hezekiah really went into unbelief. He needed a sign that he was really going to live 15 years. And then he invited the Babylonians to come and look at all that he had. And he never did put his house in order, which was the command that the Lord gave him through the prophet Isaiah, who said, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And maybe some of you who were listening at the end of the broadcast yesterday remember uh, that I made an appeal to brothers in Christ, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to set your house in order, because we don't want your wicked wives and sons loose upon the rest of us. And that being said, we can look at Second Kings 21 and see what Hezekiah left. It tells us uh, in Second Kings 20, verse 21, Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. And that's what really, a lot of times, that's what we leave. We leave our children. Or we try to. And that was the disservice. Uh, this is the great disservice that Hezekiah did. This is why Hezekiah, though he was a good king in many ways, this is why Hezekiah goes down, at least uh, as I see the Scripture, it, as I read the Scripture, Hezekiah goes down as a failure because he left Manasseh as king. Now, it's one thing to have a Manasseh as your child. Maybe you've got your bad apple kid, and there's nothing you can do with your worthless son. But let me tell you, brother, if you've got a worthless son, at least don't present him to us as if he's not. At least discipline him and keep him away from 
uh, the responsibilities that maybe you've come into. Of course, that's not the way people are. Uh, we get partial toward our own children. And it's a great thing to see a, a son with a father in harmony, but when the son is a wicked boy and his father puts him forward, well, that's a sorry statement for the father. It's a shame for the mother. And then it's a disaster to the rest of us. Well, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Of course, Hezekiah lived 15 years. He, obviously, he went three years, then had this Manasseh. And this name, Manasseh, means forgetting. That's what he means, forgetting. Now, I would rather name my son remembering, but this fella is named forgetting. And it's probably a name that he's named forgetting because Hezekiah forgot to set his house in order, forgot the commandment of the Lord. Or maybe Hezekiah forgot that he only had 15 years left. Or maybe Hezekiah forgot how to raise a son. Or maybe he forgot everything he ever learned about being raised himself and did not know the scripture well that said, and he had this scripture, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old he won't depart from it. Now, when the Scripture tells you to train up your child in the way he should go, that is to say this, train your child up in the way you should have gone. That way you get all your negative lessons plus your positive lessons. Everything you did right, you teach him to do. Everything you did wrong, you teach him not to do. Train a child up in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from him. Well, conversely, if you don't train a child up in the way he should go, when he's old, he won't depart from those things either. And here's Manasseh. And Manasseh gets the title of the most wicked king of Judah there ever was or ever will be. He is the Ahab, as Ahab was to Israel. Manasseh is to Judah. And his mother's name was Hezvibah. means I'm happy with her. This is my delightful woman. And probably named by Hezekiah named this, and in having Manasseh, he forgot his troubles, which there's a good side to that, but there's a miserable side to that. Now this uh, fellow Manasseh did evil, which in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now maybe you remember from the previous dispensation of promise that God told Abraham that he was going to bring him into a land that he would show him. And Abraham journeyed about that land as an alien and a pilgrim. He was truly a stranger in a strange land, just as was Moses. But Abraham wandered about as an alien and a pilgrim, dwelling in tents in a land that God was showing him. And God told Abraham, he said, I'm not going to give you this land now, but it'll go to your seed, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so the Amorite was in the land, and these are those who had to do with the fallen ones, the fallen angels. They were in the land. It was the case that they hadn't done enough wickedness. God wasn't prepared to judge them. But when they became fully wicked, he would bring Israel into the land. So they became fully wicked, and at the time of Joshua, he brought the children of Israel into this land, and he told them to destroy every one of these ites in the land of Canaan, Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, Jebusites, and so forth, including the Amorites. Well, now Israel's in the land, and they are reverting to the evil of the heathen 
whom the Lord threw out. Now the Lord is not a respecter of persons, and he did not bring Israel into this land because they were better people. He brought Israel into this land because the Amorites were so wicked. When Israel becomes this wicked, to remain consistent, fair, just, and God, of course God will remain God because he's unchanging. That's one of his attributes. So for God to be God, he's got to throw the Israelites, uh, the tribe of Judah, out of the land, and he's going to do it. He's going to turn this land over to the very people that Hezekiah brought in to look at all of his riches and wealth. And it tells us more about Manasseh, and I think we do well to look at some of these details because they're going on today in our own land and uh, in our own culture. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed, he reared up altars for Baal, and made a grove, or the Asherah, as did Ahab the king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. And you may remember the great warning that was in the book of Deuteronomy, that when Israel would forsake the way of Jehovah, they would turn and worship the whole host of heaven, and indeed, that's what they do. And he worshipped all the host of heaven, here you see, as did Ahab king of Israel, so Manasseh is to Judah what Ahab was to Israel. And you remember that Ahab brought Israel into captivity, and so Manasseh will set up Judah for captivity, which is not going to be recoverable by anyone else. Just as Jeroboam could not recover, and no one could recover the evil that was done by Ahab, no one is going to overcome the evil done by Manasseh. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem I'll put my name. That is, he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Now we're in Second Kings chapter 21, verse 5. And he made his son to pass through the fire. He's picked up every false worship there is and incorporated it into his practice. Sound familiar? Yes, it is. Does it remind you of that false religion that took hold in Samaria among the Israelites, where they mixed in certain parts of Judaism with certain parts of heathenism? Absolutely. So here he's bringing in the heathen religions and causing God's people to practice them. That is not very different from what goes on in Christianity today. But not only does he make his son pass through the fire, but he observes times. He observes a liturgical calendar and used enchantments. This is just spiritism. This is just the use of witchcraft. And he dealt with familiar spirits and wizards, like we're seeing in our popular culture. And this stuff is coming into the churches as well today. And he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. So here he actually took the temple site, the temple, which was the house of God in this particular dispensation, and he put false system of idolatry in place inside the house of God. That was in that day when the house of God was the temple in Jerusalem. Today the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, and the primary form of idolatry is covetousness. We have that going on. More of that when we come right back. We're looking at the life of Manasseh and what a wicked leader he was. And wicked leaders do, they're sort of a wicked leaders are brought about by wicked people, and then wicked leaders lead wicked people into more wickedness. So it tells us that, for example, in Second Kings 21.9, 
Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Now we have this word here, which is uniquely applied to Manasseh as a seducer. A seducer. This is a remarkable term, really, to be applied to him as he brings in false religious practice. And one can hardly help but be reminded of the scripture which warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the teaching of demons. Now when we see say seducing spirits here, we see what it is that they do, they seduce. And what that means is that they lead and tempt, or they wander. Literally, these are wandering spirits who wander or who lead others to wander from the faith. It tells us that in the last times, that it doesn't tell us that there'll be wandering spirits. There have always been wandering spirits. Since the creation of Adam, there have been wandering spirits. I know there are those who will argue with me, but uh, angels were created before men. And there have been the wandering spirits, those who have fallen from the order that God set them in and departed from the living God. And it tells us in the last days, some will depart from the faith. Well, what's the faith? The faith is that body of Scripture that has been delivered to us, the faith once delivered to the saints. The faith is what you're hearing preached on this radio show, the faith. Well, in the last days, the Spirit speaks expressly, in very clear words, in other words, that some will depart or wander from the faith or move away from, literally, the faith. Some will move away from the faith or apostatize, ephistomai. They will wander away from the faith because they're paying attention to seducing spirits. So these things that happened in Second Kings are our examples. Here we see a man who seduces the nation of Israel away from the faith, and today, in the dispensation in which we live, which is not the one we're teaching about right now, but with the, where we learn and can apply truth from the previous dispensation of law, in the dispensation of today, which is the church, which is his body, we see that at the end of, toward the end of our dispensation, in the last days, some will apostatize, they'll leave the faith, like what happened in the nation of Israel. And they have been seduced by spirits who wander. And so today we see that these spirits that are behind the artifice of what appears to our eyes, these spirits that are, are behind the departure, and there are those who leave the faith, and instead of teaching the Word of God, so that somebody actually has to go on the radio to get it to you, because the Word of God is not taught in the churches. It just isn't. Okay, you'll find a Sunday school class here or there where some fella is faithfully trying to teach the Scripture, but very few pulpits, very, 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 very few pulpits where you can count on hearing the Word of God as it is, in fact, the Word of God. Instead, what you hear is the wandering away from the faith as they give heed to seducing spirits. And what happens? Uh, they seduce them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. So here the scripture directly says that Israel got into more evil than the nations whom they were to displace. 
And the Lord spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, has done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore thus saith the Lord of Israel, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever hears of it, both his ears shall tingle. Now that isn't their ears won't itch, it'll tingle. In other words, they're going to get slapped around so badly by the Lord that their ears are going to be ringing from it. That's what that means. That's a figure of speech, of course. But I don't know if you've ever been hit so hard that your ears ring. But I have. Not often. But it's happened. And here now, this fellow did abominations. He set up idolatry in the house of God. And the favorite idolatry to be set up today in the house of God, brother, is covetousness. That's the idol. That's the big idol today, covetousness, set up in the house of God, such that you can't even imagine the schemes for filthy lucre. As soon as you think of something more thing ridiculous, something more ridiculous comes on. I uh, don't think it'd be prudent for me to consider all the ridiculous things that might be coming down the the road here, because as soon as I start saying them, people start doing them. I remember uh, years ago, uh, I was teaching a Bible study, and I was talking about this principle, and I said, you know, it's so ridiculous, the next thing you know, there's going to be some kind of Christian Disneyland. And sure enough, it happened while the Bible study was still going on over the weeks of time that the Bible study was going on. I made little jokes about holy roller coasters and the slides in the spirit and some other crazy things. And this was at a time when, in fact, somebody went and built a Christian theme park or at least raised the money to do it. I think he got it done. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to even discuss some of the crazy forms of, of idolatry about money that come into the house of God today. But Manasseh, the king of Judah, did worse than the Amorites did, and he brings the judgment of God. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I will bring such evil upon Jerusalem that whoever hears it, both of his ears are going to ring. And I'll stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth the dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So he says, I'm going to wipe it like somebody wipes a thing, and wiping it, I'm going to turn it upside down. They're going to wipe it, wipe it, wipe it. It means he's going to wipe it. Just see a picture of uh, someone washing a dish, turning it upside down to dry. He's going to totally clean out Jerusalem. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. They'll become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. Now, that's a promise of God. Not only did Manasseh do this evil idolatry, but he shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin. Verse 16, 2 Kings 21. So Manasseh was about as bad as it got in Judah, and his activity was such that God promised a captivity for Judah. Now, he died. Manasseh slept with his fathers, was buried in the garden of his own house. And Amnon, his son, reigned in his stead. And he reigned two years. And he did evil, just like Manasseh did. And he walked in all the way that his father walked in, and served the idols that his father served, and worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers, walked not the way of the Lord, and his servants conspired against him and murdered him. And then the people found out that he had been murdered, and the people rose up and slew all the murderers of Ammon. 
And the people of the land made Josiah, Ammon's son, king in his place. And so now we have Josiah, and we have another chapter, and we have a pleasant tale here for Josiah for the most part. Here we have an iconoclast. And I like reading about Josiah because he just goes to work destroying all this crap that was put in place by Manasseh. All this horrible heathen religious practice, which permeated throughout all of Jerusalem and all of Judah, this man is spoken of as a good man for destroying it. And all the good things that Josiah does, nearly every good thing that he does, is to destroy this system of things. He did that which no one would do. And we read about it. He was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, so till he's 39. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, how did that happen? That's the grace of God. You say, this is the grandson of the most wicked king there ever was. His father was a wicked guy. Father was was uh, murdered by a bunch of murderers. How does this happen that this fella rises up and is decent? Well, a couple things. One, his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And here we have not only his mother his name, but his grandmother's name, and I'm thinking of Timothy. I'm thinking of Timothy, whose faith seemed to be ascribed largely to the faithfulness of his grandmother and his mother. So, sister, don't give up the faith. Maybe you're married to a guy who has no spirituality whatsoever. I don't say you talk about it. I don't say you go out and tell him as much. I don't say you tell anybody that. But you know if you've got a husband that's completely unspiritual. And maybe you've also got a son that's unspiritual, but you've got a spiritual daughter. Well, if you can remain spiritual, Grandma, and you can keep your daughter spiritual, then that grandson of yours might be a Josiah, and you can just reach him. I know I've got grandchildren, I've got grandsons, and they don't have wicked fathers, but I am uh, delighted that I can reach my grandchildren with the Word of God. In fact, one of my grandchildren was so reachable with the Word of God that uh, she knew the gospel and received the Lord as her Savior, came to faith in Jesus Christ before she was even five years old and was able to to describe the gospel to adults. I'm very proud of that. I say proud of it. I'm very happy to say the great grace of God that was visited upon her early. Here was Josiah, eight years old, when he begins to reign. Now, you know he needed help from his mother. Now, he's not going to get any help from his father because his father was killed. And so he got help, obviously, from his mother, from his grandmother, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or the left. Now, I want to talk about this grandmother and mother business here because today we have so many. We, in fact, we have a fatherless culture in many ways. And there are many brothers in the Lord that I meet, and they're good men, and I ask them how it was that they've come to Christ and how it was they lived through very difficult circumstances. And almost invariably, they tell me about going to Sunday school, their mom was there, their grandma was there, their grandma taught them the Scriptures, almost invariably. In fact, behind every good man is a woman, and as a good woman. And, yeah, maybe behind every evil man is an evil woman, too. 
it's possible. But as the head of a home, I know that I'm to set the direction and to command my wife and children after me. But the fact is, ladies, if you don't go along, if you don't put your 100% into it, if you don't uh, take up as your own initiative the direction that your husband gives you, there is no way for anybody else to reach those children. So he did that which is right, and it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. Now he's 26 years old, not very old that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered in the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house. And so this man sets about to repair, this king sets up Josiah, we might say good King Josiah, but uh, this this fine man, the first thing he does when he's 26 is he decides to rebuild and repair the house of God. This is so different than what you read elsewhere in Scripture. This is very different. You remember Solomon spent more time building his own house than the house of the Lord. This guy has to raise funds and put the work together to build the house of the Lord. Now, when we want to apply this, we always go think about a church building because it's something we can visualize. But in order for us to apply this properly, we remember that the house of God in Israel was a physical temple in a literal city. The house of God today is the church of the living God, which is not a building, which is the assemblage of God's people fitted together according to God's word. And very, very few give themselves to the establishment of that. In fact, there are a lot more energetic remodeling projects going on than there is repair to the house of the Lord. So today, if you want to find a biblical church, it's very, very difficult. And when you find men hard at work about the church, or what they may say is the church, you'll find them hard at work at something other than what the Bible says is the house of God, the pillar and support of the truth. Well, when they go to work on the house of God, Hilkiah the high priest says to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So look what I found. I've been a long time since anybody read the book of the law. Look what I found. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, delivered in the hand of those to do the work. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. It came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Listen, friends, what needs to happen? We need to read the book. We need to read the book. One of the reasons that we do this radio broadcast, BibleStudy.net, it's not just because I want to dress snappy and have a good hairdo and advertise it. We do this uh, radio broadcast because the book of the law, the Word of God, is scarce today. And this is a way that we find we can try to get it out some. But the Word of God was scarce then. The Word of God is scarce now. And when the king hears it, he tears his clothes. This tearing of the clothes, this has to do with the deep feeling, the deep tragic feeling that the king feels. Now, what tragic feeling does he feel? He feels that it's a tragedy that he is only now hearing the word. I'm sure that's what it is. And this occasion has overwhelmed him that he's now hearing the word of the law. And so the word of God is found, 
And, of course, when you hear the word of God, when he hears it, he's going to hear all the warnings. He's going to hear all of the prophecies out of the book of Deuteronomy concerning the state of Israel. And he's going to hear that when they turn from the word of God, as they have done, that God is going to send them in captivity. And I'm sure that as he hears that, he also is aware of the prophecy that was given to his grandfather that they're on their way in to captivity. Well, this fellow goes about now setting up the house of God, and he has to go to work to put down all the high places and all the false priesthoods. And so as he goes about reestablishing the house of God, he commanded King Hilkiah, and we're in Second Kings 23, the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal or for the Asherah or for all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places around about Jerusalem them also that burn incense unto Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the planets, and to the host of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem under the brook Kidron, and burned it at the brook Kidron, and stamped it into small powder, and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. And he broke down the houses of the Sodomites. Oh, look, the Sodomites came in. Gee, what a surprise. The Sodomites always come in when the faith is ignored. So he break down the house of the Sodomites, so they were by the house of the Lord, where women wove hangings for the Asherah. So they have all this horrible religious practice, and even the Sodomites are back. He got rid of their houses. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah, and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense, from Geba to Beersheba, and broke down the high places of the gates. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. So here's this fellow. He's an iconoclast. He's destroying all the false religious system. And in fact, he's fulfilling the scripture that if, if we were to look back in 1 Kings, I think it's chapter 13, we'd see that there was prophesied a king would rise up named Josiah who will do these things. And in fact, who would even ground up the bones of the false prophets and so forth. We won't go into that, but he does this. And he sorts out, we'll just say in general, he sorts out Jerusalem. And he brings it to pass that the house of God is cleansed. And the king commands all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, as is written in the book of the covenant. So he, this is a man who is motivated by God's word and who becomes single-minded according to God's word. And it tells us in Second Kings 23, Surely there was not held a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor of the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was held to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits, and the wizards, and the images, and the idols, and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, did Josiah put away, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Dust off that Bible, brother, start reading it, and get your house in order. See, that's what Josiah did. That's what Hezekiah would not do. That is what Josiah did. And like unto him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, 
and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is he was above all that preceded him in turning to the Lord with all of his heart. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. He didn't have to turn to the Lord this way. He didn't have all this idolatrous system. He had some, but he didn't have all this idolatrous system to get rid of. So there was nobody that did a turnaround for Jerusalem like Josiah. Nobody before him ever did that. That's the good news. The bad news, nobody after him ever did that. Nevertheless, the scripture says, verse 26, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherefore his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. And the Lord said, I'll remove Judah out of my sight also, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now, this is the Lord's purpose. This is where we're going to leave. Judah is going to go into captivity, and there's nothing that Josiah did that reversed God's purposes in that, God's plans in that. In fact, we find out that Josiah doesn't end very well, even though he did very well. Well, finally, Josiah ended poorly. It tells us in the book of Second Kings, and we could read a, more, a little bit more detailed account in the Second Chronicles, but it tells us in his day, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and he slew him, that is to say, the king of Egypt slew Josiah at Megiddo when he had seen him. And his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulcher. Now, here's Megiddo referenced, and the valley of Megiddo, of course, is the Har Megiddo, which is the great plain on the south where many great battles have happened. For example, this is where Barak defeated Syria. This is also where the final battle, when God brings the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll bring them into this valley of Megiddo, so the plain of Megiddo. He had the opportunity to see Megiddo from a high place. It's, it's quite a sight. It's a very fertile plain. It's uh, under great uh, cultivation right now. It's just as lush a place as you'll ever see. But it's an enormous flat plain and a very, real good place for a battle. But this is where now the king of Egypt came to fight the king of Assyria. And you can read elsewhere in the Chronicles that the king of Egypt warned Josiah, don't fight me here. Do not fight me. I'm on a mission from God, your God. And your God has told me to come up here and defeat the king of Assyria. And don't fight me because if you do... Your God will see to it that you die. So even he had the word of the king of Egypt, who didn't want to kill him, told him, don't go. But he did go, and we're, we're hard-pressed to understand why it is that Josiah did this, other than he just was in that league with the Assyrians that somehow he maybe he felt like he was going to get some kind of gain here. I don't know quite what it was. But he went out without the word of the Lord, and he was killed. And his son Jehoaz came into his place, and Jehoaz did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And because his father, Josiah, took on the king of Egypt and lost the king of Egypt, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, says, put him in bands at Riblah in the land of Hamath. 
that he might not reign in Jerusalem and put the land to a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And so now the children of Israel are briefly under tribute to Egypt. And Egypt is at war not only with Assyria, but Egypt is in danger of war with Babylon. And in fact, Babylon is going to take Egypt. Well, you can read in some detail out of the prophecies of Jeremiah how it is that the prophecy concerning the captivity of Judah was clear and that Jeremiah was given the unhappy task. Men of God are given at various times, even at all times, where he was told, you talk to these people and they're not going to listen to you. And so Jeremiah was constantly telling the leadership of Judah what to do, and then it was his job to tell them what not to do or what to do, and I guess it was their job to pay no attention to him. And in fact, in order to escape the certain captivity by Babylon, some of the leaders of Judah went down into Egypt. And when they went down there, they grabbed Jeremiah and forced him down there. He had to go with them. That's the other unhappy task of the man of God. He prophesies to his brethren. They don't listen to him, and he still gets the consequences of their action. And so that's what happened to Jeremiah. And then Nebuchadnezzar came in and not only took Jerusalem and all of Israel, but he also took Egypt. And so the children of Israel are going to come under the oppression and the servitude of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And in Second Kings 24, it says, In his days Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim, now this is uh, taxed, we had Jehoaz, and then we had Jehoiakim. This is uh, Pharaoh Necho, when he put Jehoaz in prison or in bondage, he named a new king, Jehoiakim, and during his days Nebuchadnezzar came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years, And then Jehoiakim made the tragic mistake of rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, although he was told not to. And the Lord now brings in Nebuchadnezzar and all of his forces, and he brings in the horrible captivity. And God did this. He brings in the horrible captivity of the Babylonians. And uh, they siege Jerusalem and tells us Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers, and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign, and he took a bunch of craftsmen, and he took all the most achieved people in Jerusalem, took them into captivity, and only left the poorest sort of people in the land. And that means economically poor, and that also means achievement poor. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land. He carried him into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon and all the men of might, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, a 1,000, everybody that was strong for war, even the king of Babylon, brought them captive to Babylon. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, his father's brother, king in his stead, and changed his name to Zedekiah. And that's not going to be a happy circumstance either. But what do we have now? We have Israel in captivity, and we have Judah in captivity, and we have Nebuchadnezzar as the king of the whole earth. And then we're going to take up this phase of Israel's captivity and the marvelous work that God does in it next time. 